Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 76th episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is just Jill today. Um, Adam is not here. He's taking some time off for the holidays, so he is out of the office this week, but I'm here. And before he left, he recorded an interview with uh, Catherine Barker, who is the author of the young adult novel In the Skin of a Monster, which is about a teenager named Alice whose sister, um, twin sister, committed a horrible crime and now Alice has to kind of deal with the repercussions um, of you know walking around with her sister's face and it is a fantasy and sort of things take a slight turn and it's it's a really fantastic book and has won a couple of different awards so we highly recommend you read it and hope you enjoy this interview with Catherine. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and email us at feedback at overdrive.com. I don't know about you, but I love the holidays because it's a lot of good time to hopefully have time off to read lots of good books. So if you get anything good for the holidays as a gift, um, definitely be sure to let us know what you're reading. And um, again, we had our best books of 2016 episode come out a couple weeks ago. So actually, that would have been last week. It came out last week that time of year uh, where things get a little crazy. Um, so if you had any favorites of this year, definitely be sure to let us know. We like hearing what you guys are reading. So with that, enjoy this uh, interview with Katherine Barker. everyone, this is Adam Sokol from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by Katherine Barker, who was born in Canberra, but grew up involved, uh, but growing up for her involved plenty of travel. She started primary school in Tokyo and was the only kid there with a sandwich in her lunchbox. She finished high school in the woods outside of Olympia, Washington, uh, which is the rainy place where Twilight was set. And in the years that followed, she went to university, became a lawyer, changed her mind, retrained as a film producer, and worked in television. And this year, she wrote the award-winning In the Skin of a Monster, which is her first novel. Catherine, that is quite a journey to writing novel number one. Thank you so much for joining us today and chatting. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. Uh, so how about you kick us off just by letting our listeners know a little bit about your book, In the Skin of a Monster. Um, look, In the Skin of a Monster is a story primarily about Alice, um, a girl whose identical twin sister committed a school shooting in a small outback town. Look, Alice is already struggling, but um, bad goes um, to worse pretty quickly when she finds herself trapped in a dangerous new reality, which is a world that's filled with the nightmares of everyone in the community. Uh, so at its core, In the Skin of a Monster asks the question, what if your identical twin sister was a killer, and does that make you a monster too? And so there's there's a few things I want to follow up from that. First, school shootings aren't nearly as prevalent in Australia as they are, unfortunately, here in the United States. They they happen far too often. But why was this a, a story you chose to tell? Was that something you just kind of wanted to shed some light on? Or was it something you've experienced and wanted to let the world know a little bit more about? No, great question. Um. Look, I, I did my senior year um, in in the States where obviously um, school shootings are, are horrifically more of an issue. Um, but back in Australia, we, we actually had a really big massacre in 1996. Um, 
It killed uh, at least 35 people. I think 23 were wounded. Um, and it led to a huge transformation in the gun control legislation. So we have a really different um, situation with guns here in Australia. But having lived in the States, um, uh, it was an issue that... Um, really impacted me and going to write my first novel I wanted to write a story about something I truly cared about um, uh, but I think that at its, although it's set around the school shooting at its core uh, the book looks about the impact uh, that an act of violence has on a community even years later the psychological trauma the vast ongoing impact of one senseless act of violence and I think that that can apply to any country but the other thing is, you know, we live in a, in a global community now and um, we here in Australia are obviously very aware of what happens in the global arena and whilst not affecting us directly, um, you know, we don't have uh, uh, metal detectors outside the schools here in Australia. But I think that that feeling of threat um, that places like schools that used to be so safe no longer feel entirely safe is certainly a part of um, the young adult consciousness here in Australia. So um, I, I think but, but by long-winded answer, uh, <laughs> it's an issue that really matters to me. I wanted to write about something that mattered. Um, at its core, I think that the story sort of looks more broadly at, at the impact of violence more broadly. Um, but uh, it was an issue that just mattered. And I, I would completely agree. In fact, we've had a, a few different programs here at Overdrive this year where, where we've used books discussing school shootings and, and trying to get into the mind of, of why people do these types of horrific acts. And, and speaking of getting in the mind of of someone who who partakes in these horrible instances, something that I found really interesting about your story is that, you know, the main character is Alice and her twin sister, the person who, who did you know, this horrible act, you actually didn't choose to name her in the story. So was there a specific reasoning behind that? It, it, there was. It, it might sound a bit daggy, but look, I I felt a bit like sometimes with these with these horrible instances that, that there's not glorification of, of the shooters, but I just, I didn't want to lend any time to the person that did it. I didn't want, you know that name to be the name. I wanted it to focus on um, all of the people that were impacted. So it was quite deliberate um, in not naming that character. I felt that that, that sort of reflected um, the broader way that I wanted to approach the story. I wanted to give no glory to the person that had done this and give every bit of detail to all the people that were left. So um, I did it quite intentionally. I didn't even know whether people would notice that I hadn't named, <laughs> named the sister. And I'm not going to ask you to reveal it because that would defeat the purpose, but in your mind, does the twin sister have a name? Uh, the twin sister does have a name. Okay. I won't reveal it, but I, yes, I was, name. Yeah, I was going to say, I won't, I won't needle you for the answer. I was just curious if in your mind... <laughs> Uh, and then perhaps, almost more importantly, do you have a twin sister? Because if you do, I would imagine she's not very happy with you. About... No. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a sister at all. Somebody asked me that one time. They said, why the twin sister thing? Um, I think, uh, look, I just, firstly, I find twins a bit fascinating. Um, I just really liked the idea of, you know, what would it do to you if, in theory, there's a person that shares your DNA that looks just like you? And they do something horrific, and whether or not it it 
it starts to make you question whether or not whatever was in them is actually in you too. If there was something deep down fundamentally wrong with them, is that something that you share? Uh, how it would feel if you were literally walking around looking exactly like somebody who had, had destroyed the lives of the people that you loved and knew. Um, but uh, I sort of the idea of twins also really resonated with um, the the broader theme I wanted to tackle. Um, uh, in the book, a lot of the characters are either loved or hated or feared based on how they look, um, and often they're quite different to how they outwardly appear. Um, and I really like the idea of exploring how expectations of, of how a person looks affect uh, how they're treated. Um, how they see themselves and in terms how other people see them. And I think that's a really relevant theme, particularly for young adults. But it's a theme that I dealt with um, and explored with all of the characters and the idea of having a set of twins where where they physically looked identical really helped me to sort of flesh out that theme of identity and appearance and perception and I've I've seen I've seen people who have reviewed and described your books as everything from a take on you know Alice in Wonderland and, and Through the Looking Glass. I've also seen people mention The Maze Runner and Mad Max, which I think is maybe a little bit of a lazy just oh it's an Australian outback thing, but I'm not going to judge. <laughs> um, I'll take that comparison. Oh yeah, it's a great story, absolutely. <laughs> but I just feel like sometimes people see it's like, oh, Australian. It must, oh, it's it's uh, you know, it's like Mad Max. It's just that I was wondering if there was anything more behind that for them. But what would you say? Are there any stories or inspirations that you've read? Anything that uh, that lies behind the story in your mind, or do you think this is more people just kind of projecting what they see in the story for themselves? Oh, what a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Look, I I didn't have any particular reference points. This is, um, it's the first book I've written and it's in fact the first thing I've written. I, I decided I was going to write a book and I just sat down and I kept going and going and going until it was done. And because I wasn't sort of, uh, I, I didn't sort of train or get mentored to it, it sort of went off in, you know, weird directions um, and it didn't really have... A, a solid reference point in that way. So uh, for me, I can't think of anything um, uh, that was a solid reference point. And actually, I, I think that sometimes you're right. It's a lot easier for people to um, to to say it's like this but different. And um, one of the things that was really hard trying to write the blurb on the back and everything, <laughs> um, the publisher couldn't think of something and I couldn't think of something. No one could think of anything to say it's sort of like this but different. So I think the answer is no. If, if you if you come across a book that's, um, that's got a similar theme, let me know because it would be really helpful when I'm trying <laughs> to describe and pitch my book. <laughs> I, that's something really interesting that you make a great point is people are always looking for a completely original idea and a book that they've never heard of before. And, and I think your story is that it's incredibly original, but at the same time, in order to promote things, everyone always wants to know, well, what's this book like? And it's this like double edged sword. It's like, well, if it's like something else, I guess it's not entirely original, but they, it's like they need both of those. Um, so I definitely, I will be on the lookout for you if I see anything that aligns with, with your story. Oh, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a really hard one. Um, we, when I, I always remember being at film school uh, a while ago, and I think it was the writer of, um, 
he might have been the writer of Gladiator or, or so. Anyway, he was talking about trying to pitch to the studios. Um, and he'd just written that samurai one um, with Tom Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. And he said, he walked into the room and he said to all of the execs, it's Gladiator, but with samurai. <laughs> and that was all they wanted. And, you know, financing happened and all of that because it was reduced to something really simple uh, that people could understand. It doesn't mean it was a simple story, but it meant that you really understood what you were getting. Um, and one of the things that was tricky with this book um, is, uh, I mean, I, I wrote the blurb on the back, so I'm not blaming anyone but me, <laughs> but um, on the Goodreads comments, um, there are plenty of people that are quite antsy saying, no, no, this book isn't what it says it is, because they've sort of missed the first part of the blurb and not realised that actually the, the, the bulk of the book takes place in an, in an alternate reality where dreams and nightmares of, of people are stored up and that world has gone wrong based on what's happened. So it's not it's not realistic fiction. But they sort of miss that on the back. <laughs> and I think that <clears throat> the expectations people take into reading a book uh, are often really important. So um, next time I'm going to spend some more time getting the blurb on the back as accurate <laughs> as possible. So you mentioned, and this, this is very interesting to me, this is your first book and... You know, you, you took a little bit of a unique path to becoming a writer. So I, I'm curious for your process to, to deciding to write this story. Did you always have aspirations of being a writer? I know that you, you know, studied law and you worked in, in television and all sorts of different things. But while you were doing all of the, having all those life experiences, did you also always kind of think you wanted to be a writer or have you written throughout your life? I guess just maybe. Take us through your unique path to writing this first novel. Um, I think that looking back, I can now say with certainty that I always wanted to be a writer. Um, and I can see all of the moments in time where in this really sort of half-hearted way, I kind of dipped my toes in and then, and got, then sort of got back out again. Um, but I think I wasn't completely conscious of it at the time. Um, you know, I... Looking back, yes, I'd, I'd, you know, fiddle around with trying to write a play while I was at uni and then put it to one side. And then when I was a lawyer, you know, on the weekends, I tried to write a little short story and sort of put it to the side. And, um, I, you know, I, I dabbled consistently, but it just never really felt like something that I could do. The idea of um, writing a novel seemed so overwhelmingly difficult <laughs> that I just assumed uh, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and then I just had this moment one day where I'm like, you know what, if, if I keep, keep going like this, I'm actually never going to do it. And um, uh, I had this moment where I realised that actually when you're chatting to someone, you know, at a party and they ask what you do, um, there was actually only one answer that made me feel really proud. And the only answer I could give that just sort of filled me with a huge sense of pride was if I could say, hey, I'm a writer. <laughs> and as soon as I worked that out, I realised actually perhaps I should wasting my time and get on with it um so what I did is I just decided I was going to write a novel um and I decided uh I wasn't going to quit until I'd finished I gave myself um about a month to really decide what it was going to be about and I set a rule for myself that no matter what um I wasn't going to change my idea now it morphed through the process and it became more refined and it, it changed slightly but my great fear was that I'd get three months in and uh, the shiny new idea that I hadn't discovered the problems with yet would be too tempting and I'd just <laughs> end up with all these sort of first chapters. 
So I <clears throat> promised myself I wouldn't change ideas and I sat down to write a novel. It took me way longer than I thought it was going to take <laughs> um, because I was learning how to write in the process. So, you know, I didn't... I, I'd been to film school, so um, in theory, uh, I had some concept of dramatic structure, but in a really different sort of context. And so I um, sat down and uh, I, through the process of writing a novel, uh, learned how to write a novel um, and, you know, I say this is my first book and it is my first book. It's in fact really the first thing I've ever written. But if I went back through my laptop, I'd probably written six different versions of it, just getting down to the core of the story. So, um, that, that was how the story came to be written. Um, as for publication, we have, um, slightly different system here in Australia where I know in America, um, I think that the agents are always the gatekeepers mm-hmm. um, and you really do need to have a literary agent before you can um, get published. But here in Australia, we have this great thing, um, it's called the Friday Pitch and a lot of the big publishers will uh, open their doors once a week uh, to unpublished or unrepresented authors to send in their first chapter. And if they like the first chapter, they'll ask you for three chapters and if they like the first three chapters, they'll ask you for more. And um, I had this great experience where I <laughs> sent in my first chapter and they really liked it. So um, uh, it all happened sort of quickly after that. Okay, so you send them your first chapter. That's really cool. I'm very jealous of that. That's amazing. Um, so you send them your first chapter. Did you have an idea of the whole story? Did you kind of have an outline or did you write this first chapter? They say, wow, we really liked this. Give us more did you know where you were going to go with it after that first chapter or were you just kind of hoping that they would latch on to that? Um, well, what, I probably missed the middle step in all of this. Um, <laughs> and that what happened is I, I finished it. Finally, I'd finished it. And I sent it off to, I, I, I sort of, I felt like perhaps it needed some professional eyes to look over it um, before I sent it further. Um and I sent it to sort of a, a script assessor. You know, you, you, like you pay them a small amount of money and they give you some notes. Right. That kind of. Um, I, sent, I sent it to this guy. Ah, oh, and he was brutal. Like the first, the first comment was like, "Oh, poor Catherine." It was so condescending, <laughs> mean. Like it just got worse from there. And I got really demoralised, and I just put it in the bottom drawer. I went, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, everyone writes their first book." Uh, it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. I'll deal with the emotional fallout later. Pop it in the bottom drawer. Um, and, you know, life got in the way. I got distracted. It was almost a year later that um, I was going on holidays and uh, it occurred to me that perhaps before I, I, I had decided I would start my next book when I got back. And I thought, well, look, it's, it's over anyway. I might as well just casually chuck it into one of these, you know, <laughs> Friday pitch things. And that way I feel like I've really sort of, I've done everything I can and then I'll start afresh. Um, and, and they liked it. So, uh, that's how, the, so I did have the whole book finished before I sent it to my current publisher. Yes. Wow. That, that whole process sounds both exhausting and exhilarating. That's, there's a lot that went into this story. <laughs> Those are the best two words for it. Yes. <laughs> um, so. Speaking of exhausting and exhilarating, you have traveled all over the world and lived in a whole bunch of different places. Um, do you put any of your life experiences from moving around so much into your writing? 
Um, I don't know about the 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 life experiences exactly. Um, but what I find is people that know me, um, when they're reading, they're like, "Oh, that's so weird. That's exactly what you would say." <laughs> um, so it's the, it's the terms of phrase I think that particularly, um, you know, I I write in in the way that I talk. So um, when you when people I know read the books, they, they see a lot of me in there. And I'll take details out of places that I've been or, um, uh, or yeah, no, places that I've been and references to places or things that I've seen. Um, but because in this book and also the next one that I'm, I'm writing, um, it was in a fiction, they're in fictional sort of towns or fictional places. Um, it, it's not sort of a matter of, travel informing in sort of a research style it's it's really that um inevitably bits and pieces because when you're writing and you're in the flow of it like it's just sort of whatever pops into your head in the first draft and so often what pops into your head relates to things that are already in your brain (laughs) i suppose that makes sense it's it's things that you you know you already have up there so it makes sense that they would come out on the page um so we were talking about this before we started recording, but Overdrive being a library company, I love asking uh, what authors I chat with, what their experiences are with libraries, and you had a lot of great things to say. So I'm going to uh, just uh, shut up and let you talk yeah. about libraries for a little bit. Well, uh, public libraries uh, have always been a, a big thing for me, but continue to be. My, my, my book that I'm currently writing, as well as In the Skin of a Monster, uh, were both written almost entirely in public libraries. Um, uh, the, the library near my house has this great sort of room and I go there with my cup of coffee and that's where I do my writing. I don't have a desk at home, so uh, my desk is in a public library. But my parents were both teachers as well, so um, we spent a lot of time around school libraries um, and I used to have a fairly big commute um, and audiobooks. That's, that's how I got through the drive. I just listened to audiobooks. So, yeah, public libraries, audiobooks, uh, I'm right there. They're, they continue to be a massive part of my life. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned kind of growing up around the libraries as well because your, your parents are teachers. Do you remember some of the books or what types of books you would read when you were a kid? Um, what, the one that really sort of uh, stuck out with me is... Um, that the books that really got me into reading were The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, cause it had never occurred to me that books could be funny. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that I was, I, I thought like I was single-handedly discovering, first person on earth to discover that books were just incredibly funny. I, like I made my dad read it. I thought, this is, this is funny. It's clever. <laughs> so that one, I remember where I was reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, but you know we've got some we've got some really great authors here in Australia. Um, uh, Melina Marquetta, who I was lucky enough to to meet, wrote a book called um, Looking for Ella Brandy, which was really sort of impactful for me when I was um, a teenager. But yeah, the one that I remember uh, first and foremost, uh, and I remember borrowing it from the library, was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's a that's a really good one to remember. That's like you said, it's. It is one of the funnier stories you'll find out there. Um, I know. So random and clever. Absolutely. Um, So when you're not writing, how do you spend your time? Oh, wow. Excellent question. Um, I have two young kids, so uh, they take up all of my time. I was going to say, so you have have no free time. I have no free time. 
somebody said to me something rather about, you know, going and getting their hair done or a massage. And I was trying to think back. I'm like, no, I don't do these stuff. Uh, <laughs> but fortunately, uh, I have a job where I consider it to not only be pleasure, but way more interesting than like getting your nails done. So I'm really happy to give up every moment on that kind of front and pour it into the writing side of things. I'm currently sitting, it's, it's early morning here in Australia, I'm currently sitting here in my pyjamas on the bed <laughs> and I'm going to spend the next couple of hours exactly here doing some more writing and I'll be very happy about it. Uh, well, I love my job, but that I'm very jealous of that. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> You've done well in life if you can wear your pyjamas to work, I think. I think that's a real coup. Absolutely. So speaking of, can you share with us what you're working on now or what your next book will be or is that still kept under wraps? Look, you know what? I haven't even asked. My, I, I, my agents in America, um, I haven't asked if I'm allowed to share, but look, I will anyway. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's another young adult novel. Um, it's called Waking Romeo. So it's a, a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet with a dash of like Wuthering Heights thrown into good measure, but also a whole lot of time travel. So a bit of a puzzle story, time travel, lots of clues and mysteries to solve, you know, secret groups of time travel. But, you know, at its core, it's, it's a love story. Um, so it's it's lighter, obviously, in subject matter than my first book, but it's been so much fun to write. I love time travel. <laughs> By the way, I we were just we were joking earlier about you wanting to change your uh, the blurb or you know work on the blurb for the first book. I feel like you just nailed the blurb for the second book that's not even out yet, and you're it's like good to oh, go. Fantastic, thank you. But here's the thing, right? I, what I've worked out is. If you can actually work out how to reduce something to a really simple uh, line or two, it's just easier for people to understand what you're on about and easier to remember. So I was really pleased when I realized that second time around, it, it's not a complicated message. And I'm, I'm fine with it being a complicated message for the first book because, you know, I'm really proud of uh, In the Skin of a Monster, but it's a complex book and I think it, it deserves to be represented in more than a line because there's so much denseness going on. But I'm pretty excited that second time around, I can just like, yep, it's this in a line. It's, <laughs> it's so much easier to explain. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so towards the end of our podcast interviews, we like to ask nine kind of rapid fire questions. We call them the nerd nine because I'm a fan of alliteration. Oh, um, so these, okay. not a lot of thought on these, just the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, the first one is, what's the last book you finished? Uh, I reread Looking for Ella Branding. What's your favorite place to read? In bed. I kind of thought so. What, uh, do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, yeah, but like, how have you got? Uh, <laughs> hamburgers. I really like hamburgers. Had one last night. That's perfect. Uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? I'd like to go to Iceland. Do you have a favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas. Do you have a favorite movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Midnight Special. I watched it the other day. Uh, Jeff Nichols. Uh, it's, it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Are you a cat person or a dog person? I'm a cat person. I know that makes me unpopular with dog people, but I, I, I've never owned a dog. I didn't grow up with one, so I have to say cat. Well, I'm I a like do dog too, but I've never owned one. <laughs> I'm a dog person, but I will let that one slide. That's okay. Um, you mentioned him. It's not my fault. I didn't get bought 
one, you see. You know, growing up without a dog, I've never had a dog, so I have to say cat because I had a cat growing up. Okay, all right. Fair enough. You mentioned hamburgers before, but do you have a favorite food? It's going to be hamburgers or laksa. That's perfect. And then the last question is, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Oh, wow. Look, um, because of what I've been writing recently, I'm going to go with Shakespeare because I'm really curious to know uh, if he read all of that meaning into there that we're reading into it now. (laughs) That's a perfect answer. And then just my last question for you is, what do you hope readers take away from reading In the Skin of a Monster? Um, I think that, I think the message that I was getting out of it when I was drilling down into it is, uh, the idea that, that, you know, we're not necessarily born good or bad and it's not black and white, that there's, there's miles of gray in between and that it's how we choose to behave and our actions that define us. And, uh, I hope that in reading it, they get a real sense of, the, the empowerment that comes with choosing whether or not, you know, we choose to be a good person or a bad person and the fact that, you know, you don't always get it right. It is a constant struggle, but, you know, being conscious of it is is the important and defining part. As a perfect answer. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. It was so nice chatting to you, Adam. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.